ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds for Allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger I'd like to begin this evening in our seventh lecture uh, dealing with the sharh or the explanation of Umdat al-Ahkam Taysir al-Alam al-Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman Ali Bassam Hafidhullah by reviewing the hadith which we took in the previous lecture under the chapter Bab al-Jum'ah the chapter concerning Yawm al-Jum'ah and that which is related to it in the previous lecture we mentioned the hadith hadith number 131 the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar may Allah be pleased with him and his father أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من جاء منكم الجمعة فليغتسل The Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وسلم said whoever or any one of you who comes to al-jum'ah to the gathering the congregational gathering on yawm al-jum'ah فليغتسل then he must he is ordered to take a ghusl. Concerning this hadith, the Shaykh Abdullah says that the scholars differed as to whether or not the ghusl on Yawmul Jum'ah, if it is obligatory, wajib, or is it mustahab, recommended or commendable. The first opinion is the opinion of the Zahiriya, the literalist Madhab, who said that the ghusl of Yawm al-Jum'ah is obligatory. And it is based on this hadith, من جاء منكم الجمعة فليغتسل. And the lamb, in this last expression, فليغتسل, it means the lamb al-amr, command. It means that you are ordered to make a ghusl. Also, they used as a proof the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu in which he said, غُسْلُ يَوْمِ الْجُمْعَةِ وَاجِبٌ عَلَى كُلِّ مُحْتَلَمٌ That the ghusl, the bath of Yawm al-Jum'ah, it is wajib, obligatory on every one who has reached the age of maturity. The second opinion is the opinion of the majority of the scholars of Jumhur. They said that it is mustahab, that it is not wajib to perform the ghusl on Yawm al-Jum'ah and they mentioned as a proof the hadith of Al-Hasan and Samrata radiallahu anhu 
أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من توضأ يوم الجمعة فبها ونعمت ومن اغتسل فالغسل أفضل الحديث الحسن عن سمرة رضي الله عنه سيدة مسني الله صلى الله عليه وسلم said whoever makes wudu ablution on يوم الجمعة on the day of Juma then it is fine but whoever makes a ghusl a complete bath then the ghusl is preferable it is better فالغسل أفضل they use this hadith as a proof that the ghusl on يوم الجمعة is not obligatory but it's preferable they said then that it is mustahab and we discussed the various answers from each group to the other and the saying of some of the scholars uh, that the obligatory or the command of the obligation of Ghusl Yawm Jum'ah was in the beginning due to a need due to the fact that the Muslims were doing hard work and their clothing was rough walling clothing, clothing and they were doing labor and they used to come to the masjid after working all morning in that condition that they left their workplaces in and it left a bad smell and it harmed, it caused harm or some inconvenience for the people in the small masjid that they were praying in and in the heat of the desert at that time later when the condition of the Muslims changed and they were not doing hard labor and the Muslims became wealthy and they had better clothing then there wasn't this need to take the ghusl especially after coming from the type of work that they were doing and therefore it was reduced from an obligation wujub to being commendable or mustahab in any case some of the scholars rejected this interpretation and uh, from amongst them as Ibn Qayyim and Ibn Taymiyyah and Imam Al-Baghawi said Rahimahumullah he said in his book Shar Sunnah that the scholars differed about the obligation of taking a ghusl on Yawm Jum'ah but they agreed on the fact that if a person did not perform the ghusl if they performed ablution or wudu then the salat was accepted the salat is acceptable it is correct even if they didn't perform the ghusl this is agreed upon in any case the sheikh says in summary that uh, it is better that one should take the ghusl for a number of reasons that uh, at least it is legislated and it's commendable and it's rewardable and it's the safer of the two positions uh, in summary then we mention the ahkam or the rulings that are derived from this hadith the first of them and there are five is that the apparent meaning of this hadith is that it is obligatory that it is wajib to take a ghusl for salat al-jum'ah and the original ruling concerning such matters is that we understand the meaning of the hadith as it is on face value without giving it some reinterpretation also the second point is that in this hadith is an evidence that the ghusl on Yawm Jum'ah should be before the salat uh, although the Zahiriya held the opinion that it's the obligation of the ghusl is in the day of Jum'ah whether it's before the salat or after but the correct opinion is that the ghusl its purpose is to go to the Salat of Jum'ah or to that gathering in a clean state and therefore it is intended to be performed before the Salat 
Also, he said that in this hadith is a delil that or an evidence that it is preferable to perform the ghusl just before going to the salat. Yani as close as possible to the time of salat to be in the best condition that is possible since that's the, that's the purpose of performing the ghusl for attending the gathering. Number four is we may understand that of the wisdom of the legislation of the ghusl on Yawm al-Jum'ah uh, we understand that it is, its intention is that the person should go to such gatherings of the Muslims, such as gatherings for ibadah or salat, in their best condition. And this is mentioned in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Bani Adam, khudu zinatakum inda kulli masjidin. O children of Adam, attend to your best of clothing at every masjid or every place or every time of salat. And finally he said that from this hadith we know that it is legislated to perform a ghusl for the one who, had, who intends to go to the masjid for the salat. The one who intends to go to the masjid for the salat. As for the one who does not attend, intend to go to the masjid for salat, then it's not legislated for them to perform a ghusl on Yawm al-Jum'ah. And this has been mentioned clearly in another narration in the hadith reported in the Sahih ibn Khuzaymah in which he mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, after mentioning this hadith, that whoever, any one of you who goes to Jummah, he should take a ghusl. And he completed that hadith by saying, "Women lam yatiha, falaysa alaihi ghusl." And whoever didn't come to the Jummah prayer, then there is no obligation on that person to perform a ghusl. Second hadith that we took is hadith number 132, hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah, radiyallahu anhu ma may Allah be pleased with him and his father. He said, "Jaa rajulun." النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم والنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يخطب الناس يوم الجمعة فقال أسليت يا فلان قال لا قال قم فركع ركعتين يعني that a man came to the masjid on يوم الجمعة while the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was giving the khutbah and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said to him oh so and so have you prayed the man said no therefore the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said stand and perform two raka'ah and in one of the narrations, he said, "Fasalli rakatini," and in the same meaning, perform two rakah. Concerning this hadith, also there is a difference of opinion or ikhtilaf amongst the scholars as to whether or not the person entering the masjid on Yawm al-Jum'ah while the Imam is giving the khutbah should sit or should perform two rakah. If somebody enters the masjid while the Imam is giving the khutbah, some of the scholars said that that person must perform two rakah before sitting, and others said know that he should sit. The first opinion is the opinion of Al-Imam Al-Shafi'i and Al-Imam Ahmed Rahimahumallah and the scholars of Hadith who said that it is Mashru' or Mustahab, that it is commendable that the person should perform Salat when they enter the Masjid on Yawm Al-Jumu'ah even if the Imam is giving the Khutbah. And they use as a proof this Hadith, the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu to that man, have you prayed? And he said, no, he said, stand up and pray. They said, that's a proof that even if the Imam is given the khutbah, as the Prophet ﷺ is given the khutbah, then the person should pray before sitting. And if someone was to argue that that was specifically for that man or for some particular reason, then they also stated another proof that's more clear, and it is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, in which he said, إِذَا جَاءَ أَحَدُكُمْ يَوْمُ الْجُمْعَةِ وَالْإِمَامِ يَخْتُبْ فَلْيَرْكَ رَكَاتَيْنِ And he made this statement in general, that if any one of you comes on Yawm al-Jum'ah, while the Imam is in the process of giving the khutbah, فَلْيَرْكَ رَكَاتَيْنِ And here again, the lam al-amr is used, means that it is command. فَلْيَرْكَ means that you must perform 
two rakah فَلْيَرْكَ رَكَاتِينِ So they said based on this that it is obligatory on the person who enters the masjid on Yamul Jumu while the Imam is given the khutbah that he should pray two rakah The second opinion is the opinion of Imam Malik and Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahumullah who said that the person should sit and not perform two rakah and they argued by some indirect proofs, one of them, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, وَإِذَا كُرِيَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ وَأَنْسِتُوا That if any one of you, uh, if the Qur'an is being recited, then he must listen to it and remain silent. And they argue that this listening to the Qur'an, it includes also listening to the khutbah. And that's not so clear. But in any case, they argue that as a proof that you must sit and not perform prayer or talk or do anything. And they also mention the hadith which will come, inshallah, tonight. Uh, shortly in which it is reported that the Prophet ﷺ said إِذَا قُلْتَ لِصَاحِبِكَ If any one of you said to his companion, to the person who is sitting next to him أَنَّيْهَمْ in يَوْمُ الْجُمْعَ in the masjid If you said to him أَنْصِتْ يعني be silent If you said one word أَنْصِتْ be silent on يَوْمُ الْجُمْعَ فَقَدْ لَغَوْتْ Then you have spoken a word that is useless, that is of no benefit and it is a violation of the behavior that is expected of a Muslim on Yamul Juma while the Imam is given the khutbah. Uh, Al-Imam Nawawi concerning this says that in his explanation of the Sahih of Muslim, Rahimahullah, he said that this hadith, that if any one of you comes while the Imam is given the khutbah, then he, he must perform two rakah. He said that this is a clear text that cannot be re-explained, that doesn't require or allow for any interpretation. And he said, I don't think that any alim, any scholar, who this hadith, this clear text has reached, and that alim believes that it is sahih, it is authentic, he doesn't believe that any alim who this hadith has reached and he believes it to be authentic, that he could oppose it and say anything different. Therefore, Al-Imam Nawawi, rahimahullah, held the opinion that this hadith is a clear, authentic text proving that if anyone comes to the Masjid on Yom al-Jum while the Imam is giving the khutbah, it's obligatory to perform two rakah. Uh, and he is assuming here that uh, Al-Imam Malik and Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, didn't know about this hadith or they didn't consider it to be authentic, and it is authentic. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions a number of points. The first of them is that it's legislated to make two khutbahs in Yawm al-Jumah, yani to divide the khutbah into two parts, and that this is one of the important aspects or manifestations of Islam on Yawm al-Jumah that the Muslims are required to attend to. Also, that it is mustahab or commendable to perform two rakah, greeting to the masjid, tahiyat al-masjid, and this is a confirmed sunnah due to the fact that the Prophet ﷺ ordered or commanded the people to do so, even when he was giving the khutbah. Number three, that a brief sitting, if somebody sat before praying that two rakah and then were informed, it doesn't invalidate the requirement of performing two rakah before sitting, they should get up and perform the two rakah, even if they had sat. If someone informed them, they should get up and perform the two rakah, as happened in the case where the Prophet ordered that man to get up and perform the two rakah. Number four, he said the permissibility of speaking while giving the khutbah, the permissibility of the khatib or the one who gives the khutbah to speak, yani outside of his khutbah, and also uh, for the one who he spoke to, to speak back to him. 
And also from this hadith we understand that the Prophet ﷺ, when he saw a mistake or an error, he didn't remain silent but he used to address it under every kind of circumstance. And number six, finally he said that that person who enters the masjid while the imam is giving the khutbah shouldn't pray more than two rakah. He should not pray more than two rakah, but simply pray the two rakah that required of him and then remain silent listening to the khutbah. The hadith that we start with this evening, hadith number 333 and he used to give the khutbah while he was standing and he used to separate these two parts of the khutbah, the two khutbahs, he used to separate it by sitting uh, it was mentioned by Ibn Dhaqiq al-Eid, al-Imam Ibn Dhaqiq al-Eid rahimahullah in his explanation of Umdat al-Ahkam he said that this expression as it was narrated here by Imam Abdul Ghani that this expression as it was reported in Umdat al-Ahkam is not found in the Sahihain. It is not found in this exact wording, neither in Bukhari nor in Muslim. And we said that one of the conditions of Al-Imam Abdul Ghani, rahimahullah, for this book, Umdat al-Ahkam, is that all of the hadith that he collected should be muttafaqun alayh. should be hadith that are agreed upon by both Al-Bukhari and Muslim. And Ibn Dhaqiq al-Aid in his explanation said that this hadith with this wording is neither found in Al-Bukhari nor in Muslim. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, in Fatul Bari, said that a similar wording as mentioned by Imam Abdul Ghani in the text of Umdat al-Ahkam was reported but in similar wording almost the same as this not in al-Bukhari Muslim but in the Sunan of Nasai and the Sunan of Al-Darqutni in which it is reported that the Prophet sallallahu but he used to make two khutbahs standing yafsilu bijulus and he used to distinguish between them by sitting this is almost the same wording as reported in Umdat al-Ahkam but it is not reported in this exact wording uh, in Bukhari or Muslim while it is reported in a similar hadith which is the one that we mentioned in the handout inshallah the sisters will give to us before we leave uh, that's reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim the same meaning but different wording the statement uh, of Abdullah ibn Umar كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ that he used to give the khutbah standing يجلس, he used to sit ثُمَّ يَقُومُ then stand كَمَا يَفْعَلُونَ الآن. Just as the people are doing today. Yani he used to give the khutbah in two parts, standing, or he used to give the khutbah standing on Yom al-Jumrah. He used to sit, and after the first part, meaning after the first part, and then he used to stand for the second part, just as the people are doing today. The Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, used to give the khutbah on Yom al-Jumrah in two parts, and he used to direct or guide or encourage the people in doing of good deeds and he used to discourage them or warn them against doing evil yani one of the aspects of the khutbah is that the imam should encourage the people to do good and warn them against doing evil and also that he used to give these two khutbahs while he was standing on the mimbar standing on the mimbar and this is also a sunnah of the Prophet as opposed to some of the Muslims especially especially in the western countries who give the khutbah on the podium the podium that the Christians use in the churches 
instead of the mimbar. And the khutbah of Jum'ah, it is the sunnah of the Prophet that it should be given in the mimbar. And his sunnah is that it should be three steps. And this is, standing in the mimbar is more effective in teaching the people and reaching the people and displaying the strength of Islam and the beauty of Islam. And that he gave the khutbah standing instead of sitting. And whenever he finished from the first part of the khutbah, he used to sit, a very brief sitting to rest. Uh, and then he used to stand for the second part of the khutbah. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentioned three rulings or three points. The first of them, that it is obligatory to make two khutbahs in Yawm Jum'ah before the Salat. Yani to make two khutbahs before the Salat is obligatory and that it is a condition for the correctness of the Salat. That before it, the two khutbahs should be given. One of the scholars, Al-Halabi, said that the proof of this, and this is one of the older scholars, not a contemporary scholar, said that the proof that it is obligatory is that it has not been transmitted that the Prophet ﷺ ever prayed the Salat al-Jum'ah without performing the khutbah, without giving the khutbah. And he, there is no report that he ever performed Salat al-Jum'ah without the khutbah. And if it had been permissible to do so, yani to, give the, to perform the Salat al-Jum'ah without a khutbah, if it had been permissible, then he would have done it at least one time to show the permissibility. But the fact that in the whole of his life, he never led the people in Salat al-Jum'ah without the khutbah preceding it shows that it is obligatory. And this, the fact that it is obligatory, is the opinion or the madhab of the majority of the scholars. Or the generality of the scholars. The second point, that standing for the khutbah, or for the two parts of the khutbah, is mustahab. That to stand for the khutbah is mustahab. Uh, this is the opinion of the majority, but the opinion of, of the madhab of al-Shafi'i rahimahullah is that it's obligatory to stand for whoever is able. And this is closer to the fact because it also has not been reported that the Prophet ﷺ ever gave the khutbah without standing. Therefore, we can also understand that it is obligatory to stand for the khutbah as long as someone is able, based on the principle that you are required to do as much as you can or as best as you can. As the Prophet ﷺ said concerning the salat, pray standing, but if you're not able, then pray sitting, if you're not able, then lying on your side, and according to one's ability. In any case, he says, the Shaykh says that it is mustahab to stand for the khutbah while the madhab of al-Shafi'i, and Allah knows best, perhaps it is closer to being more correct, is that it's obligatory to stand for the imam if he or the khatib as long as he is able. The last point he says that it is mustahab, and this is the opinion of the majority also, that it is mustahab to sit briefly between the two khutbahs to separate the two of them. And the other opinion of some of the scholars is that it is obligatory to sit between the two khutbahs and perhaps the ruling that's closer is the same ruling as the previous two rulings because there's no report that the Prophet ﷺ ever gave the khutbah of Jum'ah without separating it into two parts with a sitting in between. In any case, the opinion of the Jamhur or majority of scholars is that the sitting to distinguish the two parts of the khutbah is sunnah, that it is not wajib. But some of the scholars held that it is indeed wajib and Allah knows best. Finally, uh, the Shaykh mentions the summary or a summary of eight points from a long statement of Al-Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah 
the summary of what he said concerning Jum'ah are these eight points. Number one, that the Prophet ﷺ, when he used to give the khutbah of Jum'ah, his face used to become red, and or his eyes used to become red, and his voice used to be raised up. And he used to appear to be very angry. Yeah, and when he was giving the khutbah, his physical appearance was a, was as though what he was saying was of utmost importance. And he, he used to give the khutbah in a way that the people understand that this is something important that he is saying and that they would pay attention to it. And he said that he used to shorten the khutbah in order to lengthen the salat. The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is that he used to make the khutbah short in order to lengthen the salat. As opposed to what we find today, most of the people make the khutbahs long and the, sh- and the salat short. Also he used to make much zikr or remembrance of Allah in the khutbah and he used to use comprehensive words in his khutbah to the people. He used to use those words that had broad and comprehensive meaning though the amount of words that he used may have been very little. Also in the khutbah he used to teach his companions the fundamentals of Islam. The purpose of the khutbah is to teach the people their deen, to guide them and to direct them and to teach them the important matters of the deen. And he used to point with his forefinger. He used to point with his forefinger at the time of making dhikr and at the time of making dua. Not as we find most of the Muslims doing today and even some of the khatib, they are raising their hands when they make dua. It is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to point with the forefinger. And it's not from the sunnah that when the imam is making dua, the people should raise their hands as you normally raise your hands in supplication. This is not from the sunnah. Also, he used to command the people, and the hadith concerning these things are many, there's no way to mention them all, and perhaps this is the reason why the shaykh has summarized them from the summary of Ibn Qayyim, so as to include these points without necessarily taking the time to mention all the hadith concerning them. But the hadith concerning them are authentic, and we have mentioned, I think, all of them uh, previously, before one year or so, when we gave those lectures concerning the things related to Jummah in detail. He said he used to order the people to, be, to come near to the Imam and to remain silent. Yani when people come to the Masjid on Yawm Jum'ah, the first people who come should sit in the front in the first row. And those who come behind them should sit behind them. And not sit in the back so that the people have to step over other people to find a space in the Masjid. But he used to order the people to be near to the Imam. So whoever came first should be near to the Imam and also to remain silent. And he also used to prohibit the people from stepping over other people to find the place and this can be prevented to a great extent if the people who come first go up to the front so that the people who come later will find the place in the back and when Bilal radiallahu anhu may Allah be pleased with him when he used to finish the adhan the adhan of Jum'ah when he used to call the adhan when he finished the adhan the Prophet sallallahu used to begin the khutbah this means that the Imam or the Khatib should be in the masjid when the adhan is being called because as soon as the adhan for Jum'ah is finished the Imam is supposed to start the khutbah. Not as we find today that the adhan is called and after a long time, 20 minutes, half an hour or so, another adhan is called and then the Imam will come to give the khutbah. But really the sunnah of the Prophet and Abu Bakr and Umar and even Uthman in the beginning of his time was that he used to make one adhan at the time when the Imam came to the masjid. When the Imam stood in the member, the Muazzin should give the adhan and when the adhan is finished, the Imam should begin the khutbah. The next hadith, hadith number 134, is the hadith of Abu Huraira 
رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا قلت لصاحبك أنصت يوم الجمعة والإمام يكتب فقد لغوت The Prophet said, if any one of you says to his companion or someone who is sitting next to him who is making noise, unsit, remain silent, be quiet. If anyone has said so on Yom Jum'ah, while the Imam is giving the khutbah, at the time that the khutbah is taking place, فَقَدْ لَغَوْتِ a person has done something which is equivalent to يعني, a word that is useless, that has no benefit or value, and it is a violation of the adab or the proper conduct of a Muslim on Yom Al-Jum'ah when the Imam is given the khutbah. The Shaykh says concerning this hadith, the general meaning of the hadith is that the two khutbahs are of the greatest symbols or signs or manifestations of Islam on Yom Al-Jum'ah and it is from the proper conduct of those who are listening or those who have come to listen to the khutbah that they should remain silent and listen to the one who is giving the khutbah in order to reflect upon in order to reflect upon the instructions or advices or guidance of the khatib and also to say ameen to say ameen at the time when the khatib makes dua uh, for this reason the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam warned the people from speaking so that they could listen to the khutbah reflect upon it and if the imam made dua they should say ameen he said that even if a person said one word, remain silent or be quiet while the Imam is given the khutbah, then that person has done something useless and wasteless uh, because they have come or they have done something that violates the obligation of listening and paying attention to the khatib who is giving the khutbah. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions uh, four points. The first of them is that it is wajib, it is obligatory to remain silent while the khatib, the speaker, is giving the khutbah on Yom Jum'ah. And it has been transmitted from Ibn Abdul Bar, the great Maliki scholar whose explanation of the Muwatta of Imam Malik is one of the most important books of hadith as well as fiqh. He said that it has been transmitted that there is consensus or ijma' of the Muslim scholars of the obligation of remaining silent while the Imam is given the khutbah that there is ijma' or consensus on it as we know, yani the claim for ijma' is difficult to prove and some of the scholars have even rejected that there is ijma' on anything in any case, yani some of the scholars did transmit did transmit some consensus on various points and this is one of them, at least it shows that at least most of the scholars, if not ijma', at least the majority of the scholars are in agreement that it's obligatory to remain silent during the khutbah. Number two the prohibition of speaking while listening to the khutbah and that it is a violation of the uh, conduct or behavior of the Muslim on this occasion on Yom Jumma, while the Imam is giving the khutbah number three that there is an exception from this ruling of the prohibition of speaking and it is that the Imam may speak and say words outside of the khutbah to someone if there is a need for it and that that person may also speak and answer the imam as has been mentioned concerning the, imam, the, man, the man who entered the masjid and performed turaka, uh, sat without performing turaka and also in the hadith in which the Bedouin came complaining about drought and asked the Prophet ﷺ to supplicate for them he spoke and the Prophet ﷺ spoke to him which shows that there is an exception 
for necessity. Number four, the Sheikh says, the third point is that there's also, according to some of the scholars, there's an exception that uh, the one who, who does not hear the khatib due to being far away. And this is perhaps applicable today to some places maybe where they don't have modern sound equipment and perhaps the khatib is speaking by his natural voice without a sound system. And if the masjid is very big, or the people are very many, perhaps some of the people can be far enough away that they wouldn't hear the imam, the khatib. But in general today, everyone can hear the khatib because we are using microphones and generally everyone can hear unless the sound system goes down. So he said that some of the scholars said that there is an exception that those who cannot hear the khatib due to being far away, that they are also exempted from the prohibition of speaking. But in fact, they shouldn't remain silent. They should engage themselves in the reading of Quran or dhikr or dua. Yani they shouldn't remain silent, sitting, just letting their mind roam. If they can't hear the khatib, they should engage in ibadah, such as remembrance of Allah or reading of Quran, etc. As for the one who does not hear the khatib due to being deaf, the one who cannot hear, then it is not proper that that person should sit and read Quran out loud and disturb the other people who can hear. But this is applicable to those who can't hear, all of them being together in the same place due to being far away, they cannot hear the imam, then it's permissible, according to some of the scholars, for them to speak, and Allah knows best. Uh, the next hadith is hadith number 135, the hadith of Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, called, Man igtasala yawm al-jum'ati thumma raha fi al-sa'ati al-ula fakaannama karraba badana that whoever makes a ghusl on yawm al-jum'ah and then comes out early in the first hour and actually this expression al-sa'a al-ula is not mentioned in al-Bukhari or Muslim but it's mentioned in the Muwatta of Imam Malik so this is actually also, يعني, it shouldn't have been included since the condition for our book is that these hadiths should be agreed upon by Al-Bukhari Muslim, but this expression is not included in Bukhari Muslim. Whoever comes out, whoever makes a ghusl on Yawm Jum'ah and comes out early, in the first hour, فَكَأَنَّمَا قَرَّبَ بَدَنَا It is as though that person has offered the sacrifice of a camel. Yani they will get the reward like the one who has sacrificed the camel for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَنْ رَاحَ فِي السَّاعَةِ الثَّانِيَةِ فَكَأَنَّمَا قَرَّبَ بَقَرَةِ And whoever came in the second hour it is as though they have offered as a sacrifice a cow. And as you know a camel and a cow is offered as a sacrifice in Hajj for seven people. So this is indeed a great sacrifice meaning the reward for it is really tremendous. وَمَنْ رَاحَ فِي السَّاعَةِ الثَّالِثَةِ فَكَأَنَّمَا قَرَّبَ كَبْشًا أَقْرَنَا and whoever came in the third hour as though they had offered a horned uh, uh sheep or lamb, sheep. وَمَنْ رَاحَ فِي السَّاعَةِ الرَّابِعَةِ فَكَأَنَّمَا قَرَّبَ دَجَاجَةِ And whoever came in the fourth hour it is though they will get the reward as though as the one who offered the sacrifice of a chicken. وَمَنْ رَاحَ فِي السَّاعَةِ الْخَامِسَةِ فَكَأَنَّمَا قَرَّبَ بَيْضَةِ and whoever came in the fifth hour, which is the last portion of the day before Jummah, they will get the reward as, as one who offered the sacrifice of an egg. 
فإذا خرج الإمام حضر حضرت الملائكة يستمعون الذكر. And if the imam comes out يعني to give the khutbah, he appears on the minbar to give the khutbah, then the angels attend يعني the angels attend the khutbah and listen to the dhikr يعني the remembrance of Allah the khutbah. The Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that while the Prophet or the Prophet made clear the superior nature or the virtues of al-ightisal wa tabkir of taking a ghusl and of going early to al-jum'ah. Uh, and he also made clear the different levels or degrees of that virtue or the superiority, the superior degrees of that virtue. He mentioned that whoever made a ghusl on Yawm al-Jum'ah before going to the Salat and then they went to it in the first hour they would get the reward equal to the sacrifice of a camel and that it would be accepted from him and it would be the reward like one who offered a camel and it was accepted from him they would get such a reward and whoever went in the second hour they would get the reward sacrificing a cow in the third hour a ram or lamb, a sheep uh, uh, and he said horned, and the sheikh says here that in, in general, usually the horned uh, sheep is the better or preferable one from amongst them, the best of them. So also, this is, yani, shows the increase or the superiority of the, war, of the reward of the one who came in the third hour. And whoever came in the fourth hour gets a reward, like offering a chicken, and in the fifth hour, an egg. Then if the imam came out to give the khutbah and for the salat, the angels who have been appointed for writing down or registering the names of those who come to Yawm al-Jum'ah they leave off that registration and they enter the masjid to listen to the dhikr so whoever came after that after the imam came in the member and the angels stopped registering whoever came after that uh, they would not be written amongst those who have offered such sacrifices or amongst those who get the reward like those who offered the aforementioned sacrifices. From this uh, hadith, the Shaykh mentions a number of points, and we will, inshallah, perhaps close with this. Allah knows best if there's time. Uh, he says, first of all, in this hadith, there is a proof of the virtuous nature of taking a ghusl or a complete bath in the legislated way of the Sharia on Yawm al-Jum'ah, and that it should be before the person goes to the Salat. Number two, the virtue or the superiority of going early in the first hour of the day. The virtue of going early in the first hour of the day is more virtuous and more rewardable than going later. Number three, that the virtues or the reward that have been mentioned, it is based on two things. Number one, that the person takes a ghusl and number two, that they go early. He also said, that the best of the sacrifices is the camel. It is better than the cow. And that the cow is better than the sheep or lamb or ram. Uh, and that the horned ram or goat or lamb or sheep, it is preferable than the others. Yeah, the other such animals, small animals other than cow, cows and camels, it is the preferable of those smaller animals that one may give uh, as a sacrifice. As a hadji, the one who is offering it during hajj 
or adhiya, the one who is offering it outside of Hajj, and not as one of the rites of Hajj. It is the preferable of them. And also, from this hadith, we understand that sadaqa or charity is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even if it's in a small amount. And even if the sadaqah that one gives is a small amount, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts it. Since he made as part of the example, he gave a certain value even to the one who would get the reward equal to an egg. And even though the egg is very insignificant in reference to a sheep or a camel or a cow, but yet still there is some reward. So that even the person who does a small good or gives a small charity, inshallah, if it's done sincerely for the sake of Allah, there's still a reward for it. Also, he said that the angels uh, are at the doors of the masjids, writing down those who come, the first one first, and so on, according to who came first to the Jum'ah. And also that the angels, after the Imam enters or stands on the member, they leave from their posts and they're registering of the people entering the masjid to listen to the dhikr, so that there's no reward for coming early. There's no reward for coming early for the one who comes after the angels stop registering, and after the Imam stands in the member. That doesn't mean that there's no reward for attending Jummah, but there's no reward for that person uh, of the reward for the people who come early. Also he said that the division of the morning up until the Imam begins the khutbah into five hours from the break of, or from sunrise until the Imam uh, stands in the member that the division of this time period from sunrise until the Imam begins bringing the khutbah is divided into five equal parts not necessarily sa'a meaning 60 minutes but it means dividing the time from sunrise until the beginning of the khutbah into five equal parts and Al-Imam Al-Sana'ani, that is Muhammad ibn Ali Al-Sana'ani, the great scholar from Yemen, Rahimahullah, who did the explanation of Subh uh, al-Salam, um, whose explanation is Subh al-Salam. Uh, he says in his explanation concerning this hadith that the sa'a or the time period that's mentioned in this hadith is not a particular or specific time period that's agreed upon. And it's not something that is agreed upon. Uh, but perhaps the closest to being correct is that that time period is according to how it will be divided into five parts equally. Yeah, and in that, the day, however many hours or however many minutes it is, from sunrise until the Imam begins the khutbah should divide, be divided into five equal parts. Also, he said that those who come in these five parts or these five time periods, that they are not all equal. But in the first time period, the people who came first in that first period have superiority of those who also came in the same first hour or the first time period, but who came after them. And in the superiority, even amongst those who came in each of those five periods. And in the people who came in the first hour who get the reward equal to those, like those who sacrifice a camel, they are not equal in the reward of sacrificing a camel. But those who came in the beginning, earlier than those who came in the end of that first period, their reward is different. Uh, and also he said that the superiority of the people, according to Al-Imam al sanaani the superiority of the people 
is based upon their deeds on Yawm al-Jum'ah as well as their other deeds, not only their deeds on Yawm al-Jum'ah. And this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ That verily the most honored of you in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who has most taqwa. So that uh, it is not based on uh, it is not based on one's descent, lineage, or uh, property or possessions or other status, but the rewards or the superiority of the people is based on their deeds. And in general, in Islam, we understand that the superiority of people are based on their obedience to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And finally, he says that. Uh, the hadi or the sacrifice the sacrificial animal that is intended as one of the rites of hajj that a person sacrifices as a part of hajj uh, that it, it shouldn't or it is not to be anything other than bahimat al-an'am that is uh Camels, cows, or the smaller animals, sheep and goats, or lambs. Any other things that, that one may sacrifice, or as one might understand from this hadith, that you may also sacrifice a chicken or an egg, not accepted as a hadith for the people who are performing hajj, and they are taking, or they are performing a sacrifice as one of the rites of hajj. Uh, but this the mention of a chicken and an egg it is simply mentioned يعني, as an indication that the sadaqah of that person or the reward of that person is also recognized where's the time? 10 to 7 what time is that then? is it after 7? 10 after 7? طيب. The next hadith, hadith number 136, the hadith of Salama ibn al-Akwa' radiyallahu anhu, وَكَانَ مِنْ أَصْحَابَ الشَّجَرَةِ That Salama radiyallahu anhu, and he was one of the companions of the Prophet وسلم, who gave the oath to the Prophet under the tree, the pledge to the Prophet that was given under the tree, أَصْحَابَ الشَّجَرَةِ He said, كُنَّا to pray with the Messenger of Allah كُنَّ نُصَلِّ مَا رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم في صلاة الجمعة يعني the prayer of يوم الجمعة ثُمَّ نَنْصَرِفُ and we used to leave from the khutbah in the salat of Jum'ah وَلَيْسَ لِلْحِيْتَانِ حِيْتَانِ ذِلٌ نَسْتَذِلُّ بِي while there was no shadow for the walls that we could walk in يعني at the time when they used to leave from Jum'ah it was at a time that there was not yet any shadow from the walls that they may walk beside the wall in the shade of the shadow of that wall. Which as we mentioned previously is an indication that on occasion the Prophet ﷺ performed the Salat of Jum'ah early, early enough that the sun didn't even begin to decline yet. Because if the sun began to decline then the shadow of any object will begin to appear. But they, they said even the shadow of a wall 
there was yet no shadow coming from a wall. And a wall is not a small object, and the bigger the object, the more easily or quickly its shadow will appear. In some of the narrations of this hadith, it is reported that he said, Kunna nujammi'u Kunna nujammi'u ma'a Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idha zalat al-shams thamma narji'u fanatatabu al-fay that we used to nujammi'u yani we used to perform the salat al-jum'ah with the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when the sun began to decline Yani, they used to perform the Salat al when the sun began to decline from its zenith. Then we used to return and we used to follow or look for some shade. The Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that Salama ibn al-Akwa radiallahu anhu who was, uh, he said that it was from their habit when they prayed with the Prophet Salat al that they used to pray early they used to pray the Juma early such that they used to finish from the two khutbahs and the salat and they used to leave to return to their homes while there was no shade sufficient for them to walk in even from the walls and the streets of Medina and in another narration they used to pray the Juma with the Prophet at the time when the sun began to decline from its zenith and then they would return the scholars have differed concerning based on this hadith concerning the time of Jumu'ah concerning the time in which the Salat of Jumu'ah should be performed the scholars are in agreement that the end of the time for Salat of Jumu'ah it is the end of the time for Salat of Zuhur and if the last time in which Jumu'ah can be performed is the same as the last time in which Salat of Zuhur can be performed but they differed about when does its time begin? Yani does the time of Salat al-Jumah begin at the same as the time of Salat al-Zuhur? Or can it be performed before the time of Salat al-Zuhur? The first opinion is the opinion of the Jamhur. Uh, the three Imams, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, and Al-Imam Malik, and Al-Imam Al-Shafi'i, Rahimahumullah, they said that the beginning of the time of Jumah is at the time when the sun begins to decline from its zenith yani the time of Salat al-Zuhur the time, the beginning of the time of Jumu'ah is the same as the beginning of the time of Zuhur and they use a number of evidences from amongst them that which has been reported by Al-Bukhari rahimahullah on the authority of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu he said كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي al-Jumu'ah هنا تميل الشمس Anas radiallahu anhu said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to perform Salat al-Jumu'ah at the time when the sun began to decline used to lean from its position of being directly overhead uh, the second group or the second opinion the opinion of Imam Ahmed and the most well-known opinion from him rahimahullah is that the beginning of the time of Salat al-Jumu'ah is uh, like the time in which the Salat al-Eid is performed yani the time period after which uh, Salat al-Eid is allowed to be performed after sunrise and he used as proof uh, this, the hadith under this chapter that they used to 
finished the Jum'ah and they used to go out and they didn't find any shade to walk in from the walls. Also, from among his, amongst his proofs is that which has been reported by Imam Muslim and it is also reported by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad in the Hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yusalli al-Jum'ah that the Prophet sallallahu used to pray the Jum'ah prayer ثُمَّ نَذْهَبْ إِلَىٰ جَمَالِنَا فَنَرِيحُهَا Then we used to go to our camels to give them rest. هِنَا فَزُولَ الشَّمْسِ And at the time when the sun would begin to decline. And this means that if they completed the Jum'ah prayer and the sun was just beginning to decline, this is the beginning of the time of Dhuha. But they were finished the Jum'ah prayer. Which means that the two khutbahs and the salat had to have begun before the beginning of the time of Dhuhr. Here the Shaykh says that the Jumhur, the majority of scholars, Imam Abu Hanifa, Malik and Shafi, rahimahullah, tried to explain away these hadith which are authentic and they are clear that they will finish the prayer of Jumu'ah, the khutbah and the prayer at the time of the beginning of Dhuhr. They tried to explain it away in a number of ways that uh, are not acceptable explanations and the truth of the matter is what Al-Imam Al-Shawkani Rahimahullah says in his book Nail Al-Awtah uh, that such hadith that clearly mention the Salat being finished at the time that the sun began to decline cannot be explained away by any explanations uh, and that these explanations are far-fetched and unacceptable the explanations that have been given by the Jamhur or majority of scholars uh, they use as their proof some authentic hadith also which mention the Prophet ﷺ praying the Jummah prayer after the sun began to decline but this is not a negation of the other hadith and in the fact that the Prophet ﷺ prayed sometimes before the decline of the sun and sometimes after it's not that they are not contradictory so that it's, we can understand from it that it's permissible to pray it before though perhaps his general practice was to pray it after the decline of the sun the, the fact that he prayed sometime after the decline of the sun is not a negation or a contradiction of the fact that he sometimes performed it before the time of Zohar the Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman Ali Bassam, Hafidhullah says that the first opinion is the preferable opinion. Uh, though it is, uh, and it is the more correct opinion, though it's preferable to perform the Salat of Jum'ah at the time of Salat of Duhur, yani after the Zawal, after the sun begins to decline. Because this was the most common practice of the Prophet wasallam. And also because this is the time that's agreed upon by all of the scholars that it's permissible. And even those who said that it's permissible to do it before Doha, they also agree that it's permissible to do it after Doha. So whoever prays it after Doha, then they are accepted by both opinions. And there's no contradiction there, but those who performed it before Doha, even though it may be permissible to do so, but that act would be rejected by those who hold that the time for Juma is after the sun begins to decline. Uh, therefore, he said that it's preferable to perform it at the time of Doha, although if there is a need 
if there is a need to perform it before the Hur, due to yani, extreme heat, uh, and they have no way or no place to shave themselves in, or if the Imam wanted the people to go out for jihad on that day early, or for any other need, yani, then based on those authentic hadith that's mentioned uh, by Imam Ahmed, then it's permissible to do it before the time of Zuhur. Uh, although, yani, the safer position is to do it in the time that all agreed upon. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions two points. The first of them, that it is legislated to perform the Salatul Jummah early, or to go to the Salatul Jummah early, uh, or to perform it. Yani, that the Salatul Jummah should be held early, in general, no matter if it's in the winter time or in the summer time. Yani, that performing Salatul Jummah early is what is legislated. And the hadith of Ibrat, yani, the hadith of waiting or performing the prayer, yani, changing the time due to heat and cold, that this is especially related to Zuhur and not related to Jummah. So that what is legislated is that the Jummah prayer should always be performed early. It should never be delayed. If anything, it can be prayed before its time, but it shouldn't be delayed. Whereas Zuhur prayer might be delayed until the heat decreases or declines. It may be, the Zohar prayer may be delayed, but not the Jummah prayer. The second opinion, or the second point that he derived from this hadith, is that the apparent meaning of this hadith shows us that it's permissible to perform Salatul Jummah before the decline of the sun from its zenith. Since they used to do so in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they used to perform the prayer, and they used to leave from the prayer while there was no shade yet from the walls and the streets of Medina. And this is really the most correct opinion, that it is permissible. And if there's a need for it, there's no harm in doing so. There's one hadith remaining, perhaps we can just look at it quickly. We don't have time to complete it because the last hadith of Jummah it is hadith number 137, the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. He said, في صلاة الفجر يوم الجمعة ألف لامين تنزيل السجدة وفي الثانية هل أتى على الإنسان يعني that the Prophet ﷺ used to recite in the Fajr dawn prayer on يوم الجمعة سورة السجدة يعني ألف لامين تنزيل and سورة هل أتى على الإنسان سورة الإنسان he used to recite these two chapters after الفاتحة in the dawn Al-Fajr prayer on Yawm Jum'ah. The Shaykh says concerning this hadith, the general meaning is that it was from the habit of the Prophet ﷺ to Ya Yusuf. It was the habit of the Prophet ﷺ to read or to recite in Salatul Fajr, Yawm Jum'ah, Alif Lamin Tanzil, and Hal Ata Al Insan, due to what those chapters contained concerning the mention of the creation of Adam السلام, and the mention of the return يعني, that people would be resurrected and that they would be collected for judgment and the mention of the condition that the people would be in on Yawm Qiyamah يعني, due to the mention of these points these two chapters were selected by the Prophet وسلم, to be recited in the Fajr prayer on Yawm Jummah since it is also reported from the Prophet وسلم, that Yawm Qiyamah would not be except on Yawm Jummah so he used to remind the people of these things, that the creation of Adam, it took place on Yawm Jummah, and Yawm Qiyamah 
will be on Yawm al-Jum'ah. So he mentioned these chapters which contain the mention of these matters. And it's to, remind, to remind the people of this condition and this reality. So he says that it is expected that everything should be mentioned at the time that is appropriate or suitable so that it would stick to the minds of the people and that it would affect their hearts and that it would be retained by those who listen to it. Things should be mentioned in their proper time. The Shaykh says concerning this hadith that there are two ahkam or two rulings. The first of them that it is mustahab, commendable, not obligatory to recite these two chapters in Salat al-Fajr on Yawm al-Jum'ah. And number two, that the apparent meaning of this hadith is that the Prophet ﷺ used to do it regularly. He used to do it regularly. And yani most of the time, uh, since in that hadith it said, Kana. Whenever the Sahaba عنهم, used to mention, Kana Rasul ﷺ, whenever they used to say he used to do like that, Kana, this word, we understand from it that it was his regular practice. Not that he did it on one occasion, but it was his habit to do so. Al-Imam Ibn Daqiq Al-Eid, Rahimahullah says, uh, in doing or in sticking to this practice regularly, there is another matter. And it is that some of the ignorant, if the Imam always recites these two chapters in Salat al-Fajr on Yawm al-Jum'ah, some of the ignorant people might believe that it is obligatory to do so. They might believe that it is obligatory to do so. Uh, so, if that would lead the people to fall into such a belief, which would be incorrect, for that reason, it is preferable that the recitation of these chapters should be left off sometimes, so that the people would not imagine that it is obligatory to do so. This is the opinion of Imam Ibn Daqiq al-Aid, but the Shaykh says that he was refuted in this opinion by Imam al-Sana'ani who said that it is required that we practice this sunnah uh, and inform the people who might be ignorant. Yani we shouldn't leave it just because the ignorant might imagine that it is obligatory but we should still practice it, as it was the practice of the Prophet ﷺ. Uh, and we should and teach the ignorant, and we should make known the Sharia and the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and not leave off the Sunnah for fear of the ignorance of the ignorant. And we shouldn't abandon the Sunnah for fear that the ignorant might think something, but we should practice the Sunnah, and we should teach the people that this is the Sunnah. Uh, because it is such thinking. He said, it was due to this fact that many of the scholars feared the ignorant, that many of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ were avoided and forgotten and abandoned. And this is no excuse for abandoning the sunnah, for verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us to inform the people and to teach the people and to deliver to them his sharia. In this opinion of Imam al-Sana'ani, it is the more correct opinion that the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ shouldn't be avoided due to fear of what the ignorant might think, but the ignorant have to simply be taught 
and it is our responsibility to enact and to implement and to fulfill the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. If there are any comments or questions or corrections before the adhan, uh, we can take the next few moments for so. Fadl ya And we wish the sisters would bring us the handouts. Allahu Akbar. Answer. Huh? You shouldn't say any word out loud that people would hear. You shouldn't say any word out loud that people would hear. Because any word that you say out loud, it will distract someone. And distracting people, and the khutbah is not allowed. The people should give their full attention to what is being said by the khatib. But there is no harm. The original ruling, Jazakallah khair. Somebody get to the hand. The original ruling concerning uh, uh, such things, is that uh, it is sufficient that the person pray for the Prophet without uh, saying it out loud. But saying it out loud in the time that is allowed could be a means of teaching the people to say it or reminding the people to say it. But it's not appropriate at that time in Jummah to remind the people to say وسلم, or to teach them to say it, but the person should say it to themselves. It is sufficient. And Allah knows best. Perhaps if the whispering, as long as it doesn't disturb the people and not heard by anyone, inshallah there is no harm. And Allah knows, Allah knows best. In between the two khutbahs? I don't know. Allahu a'lamu. If there is any hadith, but I don't know that there is any hadith. That there is some special prayers on the Prophet ﷺ that are said in the time when the Imam is sitting between the two khutbahs. If there is a hadith saying that you should, that it is sunnah to say such dua or dhikr, I don't know about it at all. I am not aware. This is a question about which there is big ikhtilaf. <laughs> Allahu alam, but I think, and perhaps we can review it, but what I recall is that the person who came to Jummah and prayed one rakah with the Imam, they should complete the Salat of Jummah with one rakah. But there is difference of opinion. And some of the scholars said that the person should pray as four rakah for Dhuhr because they didn't catch the, they didn't sit for the khutbah. Allah knows best, but as I recall, I read this issue many years ago, and it seems as though, and he, what I recall is that the closest opinion is that the person should complete Salat al-Jum'ah. But in any case, we can review it and try to be sure about it. Allah knows best. There's a question from the sisters. If people are talking and you look at them and you give them the look, a rough look just to tell them shut up, huh? without saying a word. I don't know. But I mean it's not included in the text of the hadith. It doesn't say you can't look at people. But in any case, the person when they go to Jummah, 
and the Imam is given the khutbah. Forget about the people. Listen to the khutbah. Don't occupy yourself with the people. Try to ignore them if possible. Allah knows best. Anyway, there's one question from the sisters before we leave. If someone doesn't understand the language of the Imam giving the khutbah, are they allowed to read Quran or to do other dhikr to stop their mind from wandering? Allahu <coughs> alam. According to the opinion of some of the scholars, as the Shaykh mentioned here, this is not the opinion of the majority. The opinion of the majority is that the person who, uh, that anyone who is in the masjid at the time of Salatul Jum'ah and the Imam is given the khutbah, they should listen to him. Some of the scholars held the opinion that if you are far away and you don't hear the, the, the khatib, that uh, you may occupy yourself with reading Quran or dhikr or otherwise. According to their opinion, then perhaps this person would also be included, the one who doesn't understand what the Imam is saying, because they don't understand the language that he's speaking in, whether Arabic or otherwise. Uh, according to their opinion, this person could fit under there as long as that person who doesn't understand the language of the khatib, as long as that person doesn't distract other people who are around them with whatever they are engaging in themselves in. If they in their mind make dhikr to occupy their mind, then inshallah there's no harm in it. But in any case, there's another factor here that we should look at is very important. That the acts of worship, ibadah, they are not limited to the one who understands the wisdom behind it or the purpose for it or the reality of it. Yani, if a person doesn't understand the nature or the reality or the essence of an act of ibadah, it doesn't mean that they don't get the reward for that ibadah. If a person doesn't understand, for example, the khutbah, it doesn't mean that they don't get reward for listening to it. Even though they don't understand that there's reward for them for listening and remaining silent. There's a reward for them, inshallah. But if the person mind yani, drifts and they in their mind mention Allah and not disturb other people inshallah there is no harm and Allah knows best